Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? You're listening to season three, episode 33. I'm really, really privileged and pumped to introduce Dave Barnes here in just a moment. He has been on the the Love Good podcast before. I'd like to say he's an old friend. He feels like an old friend for sure because it was 16 years ago that we met, but it was only about two years ago that we had longer than a 30-second conversation. And it's just a joy to, to bring him back on, to get to really feature, obviously, some songs and also stories behind his brand new record called Dreaming in Electric Blue. He might even be so bold as to say it's his best record yet. I would certainly be so bold as to say such a thing. But you know what? Dave Barnes is not only a brilliant singer-songwriter, he's also a brilliant comedian. And uh, you're going to get a taste of that as this conversation unfolds. I also want you to know this is the last typical artist interview, even conversation-driven podcast episode of season three, okay? Next week, I'm super pumped. We're going to have a highlight reel, all of our favorite moments of season three. And then the week after that, we're jumping into a book series, sitting down with Jason Craig, who is a homesteader, husband, father, brilliant writer, and also the executive director of an amazing organization called Fraternus. And so for several weeks after next week, we're just going to be diving into G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which is a book that we in fact released to our patrons about three years ago. We've just reprinted it. So we've got a lot of really cool things coming, but today is in fact a very special day, sitting down with Dave, wrapping up really season three and having an opportunity to, as always, laugh, be inspired and be reminded of the importance of joy, even when it's against the odds. And that's exactly what Dave Barnes brings to the table today. So sit tight and I'll be back in just a moment with the man himself, Dave Barnes. Girl, I'm still learning pieces of you all these little encores that i never knew something about you fits me so well you know the secrets i just can't tell you've always been that way and you're never gonna change Well, Dave Barnes, welcome to the Love Good Podcast, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, really, really good to have you. I want to start by showing you something I should have showed you about a year and a half ago, which is a signed copy of Brother Bring the Sun. 
Oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah, I mean, that's your handwriting from 2004 because I was a freshman at Vanderbilt in 2004, believe Jeez it or not. Louise. And that's your full oh debut, right? Yeah, that's it. Pretty incredible. That might have been the first. You probably got it around when it came out. That's what I'm thinking. I think you did Rights of Spring at Vanderbilt oh, on yeah, campus. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking this is the most valuable autograph I have to my name right now. Yeah. I mean, well, you're. That means either you don't have any other autographs, or you've <laughs> fallen and hit your head, or maybe both. You know. Oh man. Well, a lot has happened since 2004. I know for both of us, but you know, in the world of music, it's just been such a, a beautiful journey unfolding for you. And before we jump into it, I, I think it'd be really good to just remind our listeners a little bit about who you are. And specifically the fact that somehow by a a narrow margin, you just barely escaped a career in comedy and instead became a (laughs) singer-songwriter. Tell us a little bit about Quarantini Tiny Minute of Horror. I I mean, humor. It's been quite quite a quarantine for you and all your fans. It's both of those, yeah. It's actually (laughs) horror and humor, which maybe all great humor is a little bit of horror and maybe vice versa. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I just kind of felt like, as this thing was starting to really, as the, as the screws were really getting tightened on the quarantine, I just had a moment. I was like, okay, this feels like this may lean into a skill set for me. <laughs> and what would it be if that was it, you know? <laughs> and so I literally was like, what if I just posted a video every day that just made people laugh? And you know, it's weird, Jimmy, like I think I, I, this is kind of a longer story, but I, I don't think I really understood. I've talked about this a couple of times on podcasts with friends of mine, but I don't think I really understood how much humor is a blessing to people. And that, and I'll explain by, what I mean b- by that. But like when I was doing stand-up shows a couple of years ago, I got through the show and a woman came backstage and there was a friend of a friend and she just kind of said, you know, Dave, I can't tell you how much that blessed me. And, and I really enjoyed the show. And I, and I stopped her and I was like, I kind of laughed. I was like, what do you mean blessed? She's like, I I mean exactly that. You know, I came in, I had a bad day. And for a few minutes, I laughed really hard and I feel better. Like, you know, chemicals were released in my brain that reset my brain chemistry that then made my body feel good again. And now I'm like happy to go home and see my kids where I think if I hadn't done this, I might've brought like that attitude home with me. And it really messed with me because I just never, literally in my whole life, I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought like humor is this sort of gift to people. I know it is to me, which is funny because you would have thought that I'd have been like, well, look how much it alters how I feel. But I just hadn't thought about that. And so it really changed the way I think about it. It was it was a very, it was very much an Ebenezer in my life of a moment of kind of like, okay, I can't think about that the same. So I think moving forward, and that was a couple of years ago, I really do, I think moments like this sort of make me go, okay, this is one of those moments that like I can use some of my oddity to possibly make people laugh for a minute, <laughs> literally a minute. And so I just started doing them and it's been so much fun. I'll tell you what though, I did not understand the work it is. I mean, it's it's a legitimate time suck, you know, which is great. And I really enjoy it. And I tell you, there's, there's for every one thing that's kind of like hard about it or annoying or time taking of it, there's a million things that I feel like I'm learning or I'm like realizing about myself or, you know, like, you know, I was doing, I was working on one this morning for later this week and it's crazy how I didn't, I don't feel like I have a good memory. Like I, I don't, I don't really, you know, that's not one of the things I tout about myself, but I've realized that I, I'm pretty good when I do these minute takes, like I have to do about five or six of them to get kind of what I want to say together. And it's crazy how good I am at 
running it then. Like it's, which I just, which is probably, you know, for any kindergartner out there, that's like, well, yeah, you should be able to do that. But I just think for me, I can beat myself up feeling, gosh, I just wish I've remembered stuff better. And one of the reasons I think I've always been a little nervous about trying to do acting is just like, man, I'm just never going to remember what I need to remember. And so that's just one of a million things that I've sort of enjoyed about it. And, you know, you have these characters you kind of develop and by the second or third time you do them, you can't just riff anymore. Like you need a backstory. <laughs> you yeah. need like, yeah. why is this woman talking about this? What? And so I have to sit and make up these worlds in my brain where I'm like, oh, okay. And that's why she would, okay, 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 good, go, <laughs> you know? So that's what's been crazy is like comedy is not, you know, as easy as just making people laugh. You have to really kind of, especially in, you know, these little characters, you have to have some sort of something there, you know? It, which you don't the first time. The first one or two, you can just shoot and it's fun. But then by the time people are kind of like, oh my gosh, bring back this person. You're like, well, shoot. Like, <laughs> who is this guy or girl or whatever? So it's been a lot of fun. I've been really, it's been a real, it's it's blessed me, honestly, to see how much people have enjoyed them. Because again, I'm just always surprised that they that those sort of things make their way into people's lives and, and mean something to people, you know? Yeah. And for, and for those who are still wondering what in the world we're talking about, you got to go. And obviously hop on Dave's Instagram profile and get lost for hours in the, yeah, the quarantine tiny minutes of horror. Humor. Yeah, humor, right. humor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I have a question. Is, is it harder to come up with a three-minute hit song, you know, or, or a three-minute stand-up routine? Which takes more effort for you? The song. Yeah, okay, cool. Which is why I think I like it more, you know? I think because the other... It's not that the other one comes really easily. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it's definitely a... It's different. It's a different muscle, you know? It's just such a different practice, you know? Yeah. One more question before we jump into the new album. Have there been any life-changing collaborations for you up until this point? You know, you can probably imagine some moments where your career took a, a turn that you could have never hoped for or anticipated. But for you personally, was there ever a, a moment in co-writing a song or a moment with a producer in studio or just a fellow artist where you suddenly, you felt like you you stepped into who you were, you know, a, a moment that confirmed or really for the first time revealed, yeah, what your life was about. And that's a big question, but I think a lot of us forget how much collaboration, how much power there is in collaboration, especially in music. Yeah, you know, for me, I think the lowest hanging fruit answer for that is Ed Cash, who produced really most of my records with me and produced that first record you just held up, Brother Bring the Sun. Ed was kind of the first guy, which is why I have such a passion for this in my life, because it just it 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 changed my life, his friendship. He was the first guy that was older than me. Ed's about a decade older, a little less than that, who had a career that I really respected and revered. He not only had his artist career, but he was producing, you know, at the time, like Bebo, Norman, and Caveman's Call, and a lot of music I was listening to in college. And he was the first guy that kind of stopped, turned, and squared up with me and was like, hey, I see you. And it was like, whoa, you know, because at that age, I was just chasing and chucking. You know, it was just like everybody that had a hands and ears I was throwing CDs at. And he was kind of the first guy that sort of caught it, turned, and went like, hey. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> you're paying attention to me. And oddly enough, some of that was because of my humor. I think he just really enjoyed being with me. Like, we just had such a good time that I think that was sort of the gateway into my music. And then, so Ed and I would kind of get together intermittently over the last couple of years of my college career. And he would come to Nashville. He was living in Charlotte, in Charlotte at the time. So I'd drive up and meet him for coffee for, he'd be like, hey, we're recording some of this new Bebo Norman in this studio, come meet us for an hour and swing by the studio and just say, hey, to everybody, because I knew Bebo from a Young Life camp. We'd spent a month together. 
And so Bebo and Ed both were kind of that Ed, especially so because, you know, he, he was moving here. So when he moved here in 2000, yeah, in, in 2001, he needed just kind of help. So he hired me for six months. I worked for them in the studio and then we made my record at the end of that year. And so he was the first person that I was like, here's my music. He took it, produced it, worked on it with me. And then we released it to the world. And really ever since then, he's, he's been, you know, a huge collaborator, especially in the production since the word. And it really was a life changer. I mean, it took someone that really reached down to sort of pull me up and sort of say like, you know, welcome to this sort of new, this, this world, you know, like you're, you're here with us now, you know? And so, and I think it's just so important. I mean, I can't, it's a huge passion of mine, but I can't speak to how important I think mentorship and, and befriending people who are, you know, that are not as far along as you are to really give back, you know, to, to see them help because it's profound how helpful it is. I mean, it really, it can fast track so many things in your career. You know, you skip so many hurdles that sometimes you don't need to have because it's just a timeline, especially with people I think that are really good at something who you really do feel like you don't need to wait another two years for this. Like you really have the skill sets to move to the next phase and I can help you with that, you know? So I would say Ed, you know, is probably the most significant of those. And there's a lot of those. I mean, co-writes, you know, I think about a lot of people I've written songs with that have been really significant songs or shows or, you know, people befriending me that really, you know, were helpful. But I would say Ed's probably the main one. That's cool. A sophomore year at, at college, I took a music business class. Our professor was the guy who had found and signed Garth Brooks. So he was the head of A&R. Wow. Whatever, 50, 40 I'm probably exaggerating 40, 35 years ago, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And maybe that was capital. I'm not sure where, but he used to say there was three R's in the music industry, relationships, 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 you know? And that's so easy to forget, but it's what so much of life is built upon. Okay. One more question before we jump into the album. If you could collaborate with anybody else creatively, alive or dead, that you have not yet collaborated with, who would it be? You know, I always say this and I, and I mean it, I think Stevie Wonder, I just think to sit in the room and watch what he does and how his brain works would be really, really fantastic. I got to write with a guy named Lamont Dozier and Lamont was a part of the songwriting team that wrote 90% of the Motown hits. Mm. And that was a, that we wrote three songs in one day, he and I and another friend of mine who knew him, which is who invited me into the right. And it kind of felt a little bit like that. Like, you know, we we sit, you know, he's the guy that wrote Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. And so to sit and, you know, ask him to play on the keys and I'm sitting here going like, this is the guy that played this on the keyboard for the first time in the history of the universe, you know? And, and it felt a little bit like that. Like at lunch, we just talked about Motown and he talked for an hour straight. Wow. I just said, I want you to talk about Motown. And he's like, all right, well, let me tell you, Dave, you know, I remember meeting Barry Gordy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am in heaven right now. Wow. And so I think some of my time with Stevie, if I ever got, got that chance, would just be as much that, just like to hear him talk about that. But I think there's something about watching a master at work that would be so fun. It's just like, why did he go to that chord? Or why is he singing that melody? Or why that lyric there? Yeah. You know, just to see someone in real live tendencies, you know, to see their instincts on a, on a real life second to second, you know, moment would be pretty incredible. Are you a, a Leon Bridges fan by chance? Yeah. I love Leon. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's one you can collaborate sooner. Rather I know, than later, man. Huh? He's a, he's a monster. He's so good. Yeah. Well, a lot has happened obviously since brother bring the sun. I mean, I'm thinking specifically about some of your albums that really, really shaped 
key seasons of my own life, what we want, what we get. And not just because God gave me you was on that album. That entire thing from start to finish was really, really reflective of a season of life that I was in. And uh, it was Mm. a huge part of that journey for me. Your Christmas projects are epic. I don't think there's probably been a year. No, that's not true. Between you and Wirtz, I've probably seen one of your Christmas shows every year for the last at least five years. Yeah. And then this Dreaming in Electric Blue, which has now been out for a couple of months, it's just so fun. And I'm curious because you are able to cover so much ground across all these projects, across a, you know, 15 plus year career now. What do you think makes Dreaming in Electric Blue unique? And at some point, I also really would like to know what that particular song is all about. You know, I hope, and I mean, these things are so tricky, aren't they? Like, tell me what you think your art is about. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, how much time do you have? And I'm going to talk in colors and synesthesia <laughs> to really, you know, this is always like a little dangerous because it's like chumming the water a little bit. But I, I do, my hope, I'll say it this way, my hope with that record, I kind of realized a few things, but I wanted to make a record that felt current without sort of popping up in the middle of nowhere. I think that's sometimes tricky with artists is that if you don't leave a little bit of a breadcrumbs to where you're going, your fans can just lose you. Right. And then you pop up two miles away and they're like, how'd you get there? And how do we get there? And then you're like, oh, well, just swim the river. And they're like, no, I can't, you know, what are you doing? So I think for me, I've never wanted to make a record that felt so different that people were like, we don't know how to get there. Like, you know, and so I think I've always with every record wanted to leave a little bit of breadcrumbs like, hey, I may do this at some point or this at some point. So if I do that, at least you felt like there was a little bit of like, a, oh, I see how he got there. But this one, I just I, I just really want to do something that felt a little more, you know, to 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 the date, to to what is happening currently. And Lord knows I'm nowhere near that cool to really pull it off. But to me, it did feel kind of like, OK. This feels like stuff that if I heard on the radio right now, I'd be like, yeah, that feels right. Not, you know, I think I've, I've made a lot of songs and it's just, it's so much in my heart, which is why I do it. But I feel like I've made a lot of songs that sound like they could have come out in the seventies, <laughs> you know, which I think is great. But I think, you know, at some point, if, if you're really trying to keep up with the trends or, or to feel relevant, which, you know, I always say that my biggest fear is to be irrelevant, that, you know, it, it's kind of trying to figure out some way to, to, to stay so the imaging and the sounds sort of feel like, oh, this is cool. Like that's still Dave, but I definitely am more familiar with these sounds and what feels like happening now. So I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of what I was trying to attempt at least was to sort of put together a group of songs that felt, you know, somewhat, you know, contemporary. It felt like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm, I'm, I kind of know these sounds, you know. All right, everybody, I've got a super exciting announcement. Just yesterday, we shipped out 730 seasonal packages to our patrons across eight different countries. In the seasonal package, in the summer package, right here, right now, people are already enjoying an autographed copy of Meadow by Jillian Edwards, who was, of course, on the podcast last week, featured in our live stream concert on Thursday. We've got an autographed copy of Snow Giant, from the Riverside. We've also got commissioned artwork from a former apprentice, Angela Richman. We've got a beautiful third edition publication of a prayer book called Orazio, autographed vinyl from the Hussey Brothers, incredible Chattanooga Blend coffee, as well as the Love Good Mass. Now, all of this is for a limited time. Okay, the summer package basically goes out to all of our patrons who are subscribed. Anybody who gets on board here and now, it's while supplies last. 
Either way, you're getting a welcome package, which includes a t-shirt and all kinds of other amazing music, books, and art. But if you subscribe by Saturday at midnight at joinlovegood.com, you'll get everything in the summer package as well. So to all of our patrons out there who make Love Good possible, thank you, thank you, thank you. You stand on the front lines of this movement. It means the world to us. It is also how a better culture is built with people like you investing in music, books, and art, investing in artists that you can believe in, that all of us can rally around because we know they bring truth, beauty, and goodness to the forefront of their artistry, okay? So big deal to be a patron and we cannot ever express our gratitude enough. For those of you who are not yet subscribed as a patron, do so before Saturday at midnight. And again, all those details can be found at joinlovegood.com. So this particular title track, it's really cool. And I'm also really wondering what it's about, what it's about, because as I listen to the album a few times through, there's a couple of songs that have really jumped out. Again, Dreaming in Electric Blue, and then also Sorry So Hard to Say. But something like Sorry So Hard to Say, I can kind of wrap my head around. I think I know exactly what you're getting at. What went into Dreaming in Electric Blue? What went into that? You know, I, I had that title. I don't know how, where it came from. I think it was just one of those titles that felt like it came out of nowhere. And those titles are tricky because when, 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 you know, 20 years into a career, it's really hard to feel like you find something new the way you really go. Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before. I've never heard a title like that before. What do you do with that? So there's a little bit of like paralysis of analysis, you know, it's it's a lot of like sitting there looking at it, kind of going like, uh, 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 should it go here? Does it fit there? And so for me, I actually wrote that song and it kind of felt like this Rolling Stones thing. Like it was very bluesy, very bar band bluesy kind of vibe, minor chords, you know. So I go and play it for Ed because I was, I knew I was going to do the record by myself, but you know, I just really wanted him to hear it before. I felt like I needed one more, like, you know, one more like backstop before this thing heads off in the world to make sure like, okay, I've got a couple of people I trust eyes on this to make sure I hadn't missed anything, you know, kind of like a book and an editor, you know, like let's get all the punctuation right and make sure I'm dotting my eyes and, you know, nothing's capitalized wrong or whatever. And so I played them all the songs, all the songs are on the record. And when that one came around, you know, we got done listening and he was like, Hey, I think everything's great. You know, a couple thoughts about this. I'd maybe tweak this. I'd, I'd sing this a little differently. Maybe right there. He said, I think dreaming electric blue is one of the best titles I've ever heard in my life. He's like, I think that is an incredible song title. I don't think the song is incredible. He's like, I think you got a better song. And I was like, and I knew it, I knew it. Like, cause that was, that's how I felt. I didn't want to say that, but I was like, dead coming. So you know, as with most, and this is, I think, really probably an important thing to say to the people listening, if it encourages people, but as with most of the times when I met with Ed, with my music, you know, when he would work on records with me, we would have two meetings, we would two song meetings. We'd have one where I was about halfway through the process, then we'd have one right before the record. So if we were doing the record in May, I'd meet with him late March and I'd kind of go, I got the record, here it is. And it never failed in any meeting we ever had that I was right, Ever. I would sit and I'd be like, here's 20 songs. Let's pick 10. He'd be like, you got five good ones, four really. If you tweak one, you got five. And I was always like, so defeated. I mean, (laughs) I remember those feelings like they were driving home. Like, what am I doing in my life? Oh my gosh, Ed's an idiot or I'm an idiot or I want to burn his house down. Who does he think he is? (laughs) Eventually knowing he was right. I mean, there were very few songs in my career that I was like, no, dude, you got it wrong. This is a great song. Most of the time I was like, I know that bridge stinks or I do have a better chorus. So 
I was used to that feeling and I was used to him being right a lot, you know, cause it would, it would reverberate in me at the same freak. I knew it. I'd be like, Ugh. and so with that song, I knew it. So I got home and I was like, dead gummit. Like, how am I going to write a song? Cause he was like, I just think it feel needs to feel like kind of cold play or something that feels like energetic and not cause mine was kind of like mysterious and broody. So I got home and I kind of put it to the side and thought that that song's just never going to get written. And I found this drum loop. No, no, no. I, I was I was listening to songs on iTunes or something, and I saw this title that I started singing. I was like, I wonder, because I, I didn't know the song. I was just like, I wonder what that title would sound like. And I started singing. I was like, that's a cool melody. What is that melody? And I kind of kept singing. I was like, oh my gosh, that works for Dreaming Electric Blue. And I was dreaming, dreaming. I was like, oh my gosh, dreaming. Oh my God. And then I, I really wanted it. And I found this loop that I had and I threw the loop up there. And then I had that that really dated synth sound, which I loved. And it was like the chorus happened immediately. And that was when it was like, I am free. I have done it. Because it's like the chorus to me is always, that's the determining factor. You can write verses for, that's, that's not the hard part. The hard part is really the substantial part of the song. You know, it's the part that holds the whole thing together. And once I had that, I was like, sweet mother of Jehoshaphat, I think I've done it. <laughs> and so, and you know, man, I'll say this too, lastly about that. I think, you know, that's such a good feeling to be 40 years old and to write something that you think, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. You know, that it's, 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 I don't get that feeling a lot. And so when I do, it's, it's like, it's the best. And I was, and I felt that way. And I felt that way with a few songs on this record, but that one especially was like, I think that's one of the best songs I've ever written. And to still feel like that at 40, now 41 is just such a, it's such a, an invigorating feeling, yeah. you know, that the, be, that the best isn't gone. And now it's just like, let's just put grandpa out in the yard in his lawn chair and he'll stare at the sprinkler, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Well, you're only 40. So, you got, you got a runway, man. You got yeah. But you know what? In music, that's like 85. I know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange how that works. And I think that's, that's probably a really encouraging message for everybody right now who is probably feeling like, well, maybe not half of the the record that they thought they were ready to record, but even more than that, in terms of their life, it's kind of fallen apart in the last couple yeah. of months. You're yeah. living in a really tense, confusing, for many, you know, scary moment. For some people, it's health. For most of us now, it's increasingly economic and psychological and just a, a real, uh, how do we move forward? in the midst mm. of all of this. And I'm curious, because at some point you had to have seen the writing on the wall and realize your release date was going to be right in the middle of all this. You know, like right probably in the height of the chaos, oh, yeah. this release. It was early yeah. April. So, um, yeah, you know, what's been your hope? Obviously, uh, I can see what's happening, you know, by way of of comedy and humor blessing people and, and just filling their hearts with a, a, a bit of a, a lightness that they probably aren't waking up to most days. Right. But even with this album and with your music, you know, what is it that you hope can happen for people as they're listening to this album from start to finish, as they're hoping for that next live show or at the very least the next live stream that you're doing? What do you hope this music does for people in these times? Yeah, you know, I, I always say that my hope with every record is it just becomes a soundtrack for moments, you know, and I think that the good part, if there, there's a lot of bad parts to that with what's happening now, but to your, you know, to your points earlier, but I do think one thing I hope for is that it can be a bright memory, you know, there can be something that people go, you know, that's when those songs came out. And I remember that season being hard, but those songs were this really fun respite, you know, there were a chance for me to dance around the room and forget what was going on. 
but to put a little bit of a, a timestamp on it, you know? So that's my hope. And I think, you know, it was funny because I talked to my management team early on when when we sort of, sort of saw the, the, the things converging. <laughs> and I was like, this is either going to be like the best thing in the world or the worst thing. And there was a moment we actually tried to even move it up because I was like, you know, should we either try to barely miss it or, and it landed, like you said, about two or three weeks in. I think the good thing that I found, and and I, it was sort of a little bit of a gamble that I think has paid off, is that people really are spending a lot of time listening right now. You know, I think, you know, that there's there's a, you really have people's attention. And I think, you know, for, for the negatives that were involved, some of the fun marketing part of it was knowing, like, people are really paying attention right now. Even though, the, you know, the, the numbers are down on streaming and stuff, mainly because what they're finding is, one, people aren't in their cars anymore, which is most people take in, you know, music that way. But also because, like, numerous accounts in a family have now been consolidated, one, because everybody's listening on the one stereo or yeah. they're listening, you know. And so it, it's it's not that people are listening to music less. It's just that less accounts are being used to listen to music, really, you yeah. know. And so that scared me. But I think, you know, I've been really encouraged by the response. And, and I've seen that it's been really good. And again, I, you know, you, you said it well. That, that was something I didn't think a lot about, honestly. But it is it is a pretty upbeat collection of songs, you know. And I think the timing of that was just kind of randomly really great for this sort of hard season. And yeah. so I hope that, you know, people have kind of had a chance to, you know, escape and smile and dance around and have fun to those kind of songs in the midst of such a weird season of life, you know? Yeah, and, and I've heard a definition of art that it, it's meant to reflect reality, but also transcend it, you know? Mm. And I think, you know, you look at your entire discography up into this point, and there's a lot of reflecting and transcending happening in terms of the human experience. And I'd say the transcendence is probably what really strikes a chord on, on this new project because most people are having a hard time grabbing onto hope. They're having a hard mm. time feeling joyful, and just a, mm. a sense of, well, life is worth living. I can certainly say on behalf of our patrons and our listeners, thank you for allowing your mm. gift to be brought into the world time and time again. It, it is the nice. the very thing that the world needs most right now. B- beauty, lest it sink into despair, you know? I, yeah, I'd love to kind. just close by asking you about Days 5 Hot Takes because obviously that's a new thing that's happening in the world yeah. of podcasts. Uh, tell us about it. You know, I am so excited about, I was literally working on it this morning. It's really, it's, it's, it's a bit cumbersome, mainly because so many podcasts are interview style. So, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're responsible for the content, but only like half responsible, you know, cause you know that you're going to have me on and then it just goes and, right. you know, you want to have good questions and stuff, but and so John McLaughlin and I actually have a podcast coming out Father's Day called Dadville that we've done together which is really fun. And it's really amazing. We have dads come on, just talk about that. It ended up being, John and I laugh a lot about it. It ended up being a lot more profound than we meant it to be in that, (laughs) in that we just didn't see when you have experts on, they're very wise. And we just thought, I don't know how we missed that, you know, because we had, you know, David Thomas from Daystar, who's, you know, it's where Children Counseling Center here in Nashville, Stephen James, who's a counselor and author in town, you know, a lot of really, Al Andrews, who runs Porter's Call, I mean, really wise men, very wise men. And I think we thought, you know, oh, it'd be great. We can have them all and talk about lawnmowers and cars and kids and et cetera. And they would say these things. John and I are both like having to pause because we're crying. And so I think that that one is fun because it, I think it's really going to serve a really cool, you know, group of people in that. Days Five, five Hot Takes is great because it's just all of my music 
stuff that I love to do. It's been really fun to do the research. And I think one of the things that I like the most about it is I just learned so much. You know what I mean? Like, cause for instance, today, you know, I did a hot take. I was, I was just recording a new podcast this morning. And one of the hot takes is, is about songs that have double meanings. Because I was listening to this interview with Dan Wilson of Semisonic who wrote Closing Time. And it's actually about his daughter being born. It's all, it's about, yes, closing time and you got to leave the bar. But it's also about his daughter being born. And so he said like every line he wanted to have a double meaning, which was really profound to me. So I was like, oh, I should talk about songs that have double meanings. And it was just so fun doing that dive of like, what are the other songs? And I didn't know that, you know, Total Eclipse of the Heart <laughs> by Bonnie whatever her name, I can't remember now, Tyler, is actually a vampire love story. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, okay, but that's what I love. You know, my hope with my hope with that podcast is just that it will give people more of a love for music. And it sort of opens, I talk about this a lot on the podcast since I've started recording the, the audio component of it is, you know, it's really about shining a light on these anomalies in music, these things that don't make sense but do or shouldn't work but do. And also just fun stories about, you know, random things that, that you know, you'd be like, oh, I wonder why they did that. Or, why you know, why is the bridge on Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie one of the most bizarre moments in pop music history, and yet it was a monster hit, you know? So it's been fun. And I, and I really, I, my hope with that is it will bring people who, don't know that part of me, you know, into a things like, man, you have some really cool thoughts about stuff or I love hearing, you know, you talk about this stuff. One of, I'll say this too about that lastly is one of the things that's been so funny about the Instagram stories version of that is that I have so many people come up to me and namely like moms who say, that's one of my favorite things you do. And I'm always like, oh, do you, do you big music fan? Like, no, not at all. Like, I love music, but I don't know anything about it. But they're like, but it's just something about listening to you talk about it because you love it so much. And I was like, that's a cool way to put that, you know, just because I think anytime you get someone who's done something a long time, I mean, literally you could put a guy who, who's an arborist, like a really, who's done it for 30 years. And he's like, let me tell you some interesting things about plants. I am leaning in already. Because he knows what he's talking about and he's passionate about it. It can literally, bowling, you name it. So I think there is something about with all of us that when you have something that someone that knows what they're talking about and two really loves what they're talking about, it becomes a lot more interesting. You know, even if you don't have a natural tendency to, to, to that subject, you know, that topic. So my hope is that that'll, what'll happen and not just that, you know, people love musical like, but that people will go, man, I just, I, it's just fun listening to you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the funniest thing is so many people say, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just like, let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, say, so. If you're not careful, you're going to be adjunct professoring at Belmont or Vanderbilt <laughs> hey, one listen, of these days. You, you know, know that, that is in the trajectory. I think someday I really do want to do that. I've got friends that do that now there. And that's definitely, I think, in the cards at some point. That's awesome, Dave. Well, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much to all of our listeners out there. Obviously, be streaming the heck out of Dreaming in Electric Blue. Yeah, thanks, And uh, Days 5 Hot Takes is releasing as a podcast at what point mm -hmm. or is already in out? In the fall. In the fall. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, Dadville soon, yeah. Days 5 Hot Takes in the fall, and I'm sure much to come in between, especially on Instagram. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on.
What an incredible way to round out season three of the Love Good Podcast. Again, next week, we're doing a highlight reel. It's going to be a curated journey through the best moments of season three. We'll be coming back here with uh, really fun highlights from Dr. Ryan Hanning, from Father Ryan Adorjan, from Matt Marr, obviously some of our even early in the season episodes, people like Andrew Peterson and Marie Miller. It's going to be a really, really fun episode. Definitely one that you're going to want to share with family and friends who don't yet listen to the podcast because it's going to be the best of the best of season three. And then after that, again, we're doing this incredible book series with Jason Craig, and we're going to be journeying through G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. And we'll give you more details soon about how you can get your hands on a fresh copy of that if you don't yet have one yourself. You guys are amazing. Hope you have a beautiful rest of your week. Don't forget to go to joinlovegood.com to either subscribe as a patron or even upgrade your patronage in time for the summer package, which is already going out to patrons across 730 homes in about nine different countries. Really, really exciting stuff. Again, all those details are at joinlovegood.com. Have a great rest of your week, y'all. We'll see you soon. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long-form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.